space, the final frontier. These are the parables of the Starship Enterprise. Sacred Trek's continuing mission to seek out new understanding of ourselves and one another boldly takes us to Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 1, Episode 8, The Battle. Hello and welcome to Sacred Trek, the podcast that engages in community around the parables of Star Trek, the next generation. I'm your host, Kent Altman, and here's Christina Hartfield. Hi, Christina. Hi, Kent. How are you today? I'm a little tired. Yeah, you're looking fancy, though. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. Chilly in here, so I'll put on a little jacket. Go little good jacket. stuff. Yeah. You ready to get started with this <laughs> one? I am. Let's do it. Let's do it. So let's say hello to our Federation this week. We have Carissa. Hi, Carissa. Welcome back. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. Got my hot tea ready to go. Yeah. Excellent. And we have Nisa. Hi, Nisa. Hey, what's up? You've got kitty cat pulling your earphones. Yes, I do. She's making biscuits for everybody, everybody listening at home. And by the way, making biscuits for people who are not cat people is not pooping. (laughs) 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 Which I just learned. We do this here at Sacred Trek. We We do. Say hi to us, Nicole. How are you doing? Hi, guys. I'm good. And I've got my fresca here. And you have your Starfleet communicator badge. I do. It's my new favorite thing. It's amazing. Awesome. Makes me feel very important. (laughs) Welcome to the Geek Club. Yeah. Hey, it's nice to be here. (laughs) We're converting all these people. It's so good. Yes. That's right. One of us. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get started with this episode called The Battle. Yes. I have a little parable for you. You ready to hear it? Yes, let's hear it. The Ferengi reappear on an apparent mission of friendship, but after three whole days with nothing more than the message of stand by, an odd sensor reading appears. The Ferengi tell the Enterprise not to worry, that it's a gift for the Federation. And when they get a closer look, they discover the gift to be Picard's former command, the Stargazer. Headaches befall our hero and an old, an old battle wherein he destroyed an unknown vessel resurfaces in his memory. In the end, we discover that it's a manipulation by the Ferengi Daemon Bach to seek revenge on Picard for the death of his son, who was killed aboard the ship that Picard destroyed. That's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. Sounded like it was gonna keep going. <laughs> that was a, yeah. That was a good summary. Yeah, it's a good summary. I mean, clearly this episode's got some PTSD stuff going on. It's got mm. some latent memory stuff going on. Right. It's got a big revenge thing. What do you all think about that? 
I think the first thing I noticed was that humans have progressed past headaches and the common cold. And I was like, take me there now. Right. Because I suffered from some headaches this week. So I was very jealous of this. They probably would have had some sort of remedy for the, the mess that's happening right now. Yeah. You know, they probably would not be affected by all of this stuff, which would be awesome. Lovely. Be awesome. Yes. Be a hypo spray for this. Yes. Hypo spray for the COVID. Oh, that'd yeah. be awesome. I really was feeling that headache pain thing because I get migraines and I'm very familiar with that feeling of not being able to think straight. Yes. When you have that kind of pain that doesn't go away and it's um, and surges sometimes, that's how my headaches mm -hmm. do too. And then, you know, the fact that he was even doubting himself during, that's the frame of mind right. to get in from pain. So, I mean, I was thinking the the title of this one shouldn't have been the battle. It should have been the nature of pain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Beverly Crusher says it when she's scanning him. She's like, it's before we understood the nature of pain in the brain. Right. Oh, she's the one that I knew I took that out of the episode, nature of pain. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right that physical pain does something to us more than we really think. It's not just a physical, it really does alter our state of mind, our mm -hmm. faculties to make decisions, to move forward, to connect with other people. We just really, what is reality? You see Picard struggle with what reality is. And maybe that maybe that was the actual battle mm -hmm. that it the mental battle from. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, also things like PTSD and, and other forms of mental illness also have physical manifestations as well. Um, you have physical symptoms from depression and all of these other things. So like pain is it goes full circle. It's mental and it's physical. It can also like be a feedback loop of those mental and physical so you end up with a bit of a spiral which he was totally on that spiral. which was hard to watch it was hard to watch our fearless captain be so debilitated by something no one could see or understand it really was I feel like i was a little bit more connected with him seeing mm -hmm. him go through that agreed nisa i just was like oh you know i do have something in common with Picard and it and it happens to everyone even the fearless heroes it happens to everyone mm -hmm. seeing that backstory was just really I think important to connect to him too it exposes some fallibility and up until this point we haven't really I mean mm -hmm. most of the time I feel like we've seen him use pieces that might not be as lovely of him as tools to to get what he needs out of something whereas this is really out of his control mm -hmm. you know he even says it you know i i i wasn't i was fine until three days ago and now it's been three days and this is driving me crazy and way to reach out yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and that's the hardest even though he was clearly not comfortable doing it. Like he was like, let me put my book away. I don't know what I'm, I don't know how to right. ask help, but I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. And I thought that was played really well, that scene. Cause um, the, I feel like that when someone does reach out for help, it's so there's such a, he, see, he seems so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And then the way Dr. Crusher just was exactly how you would need a doctor to be for you in that moment and friend, um, you know, it was like, um, do you want to talk about it? I'm here, you know, and then she made me take a nap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she was like, you need to sleep. That goes back to the issue of cons consent, which we talked about that. She didn't even ask him. She just was like, you know what? You need to sleep. So, and then she tells. And my, actually, what's funny is my 11 year old son said that when we, we, I rewatched this with him and he was like, 
man, she didn't even ask him. No. And I was like, well, he trusts her. I was kind of trying to frame it upright. And he was like, yeah, no, he trusts her, but she also has to, mm-hmm. he, she has to, it goes the other way too. I'm like, out of the mouths of babes. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I think that too, he asks for it because she walks in that time and he, and she's like, how are you? And he goes, I'm dying, doctor, well, <laughs> which is so dramatic. And, and, and then she calls him over and they sit and they do the thing and they have that lovely scene. And I just, I'm drawn to the mercy in her, you know, often you see medical characters play this role of mercy mm-hmm. in people's lives, but she really like personally emotionally mentally physically she is providing for him the ability to let go of his control you know and to just sleep well sort of tying back into what nicole was saying um about you know like i'm here do you want to talk well like all of that it's basically giving trying to give a little bit of control back to somebody who's lost it. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I've, I've been there before where you're just like, I don't know what's happening. I was just okay. And now I'm not. And for somebody to go, well, what do you want to do? That's what you need to hear in that situation. You know, like, okay, I'm not losing my mind. I'm still here. I'm still grounded. Mm -hmm. Somebody cares about me. Now I'm, now I'm going to give the ball back to you. And I know that I'm doing it. And you're not mm-hmm. alone. You're not alone. You you have the ball, but I'm right here with you. Mm-hmm. Let me steer this back to something that Chris said a second ago, which was um, the idea that someone powerful is vulnerable. And I, I questioned this specifically because Captain Picard has that line where he's like, why do doctors always state the obvious like it's a revelation? Um, and then she says, I wrote this one down, why do captains always act like they're immortal? And it's, it rings really true for me because we have so many people in power right now who want to pretend like there's nothing wrong. And he, for a large section of this, really does like just push the headache away. And he's like, there's nothing wrong with me. He's in denial about it. And why do people do that? And why specifically, Carissa, did you, when you brought it up and you said it was really disturbing to see the hero of the show in this condition? Like it's, it's scary somehow to see our leaders. And I don't understand that psychologically. I think because all of us want a hero, all of us want someone who has the answers, whether that's a leader in political, a religious leader, a God entity, you want something in control so that you know you're safe, like something deep, like our our little child within us wants Mm. something. So whenever we see a leader fall or have this you know, big issue or Picard who's, you know, out of his mind having this internal battle in his head of, of remembering this PTSD episode, it's hard because you go, oh man, if they could do that and they're so great and powerful, then I, as this not as powerful, not as in control person, man, do I have any hope of making good choices or making, so yeah, I just think it's that idea of like, I hope someone else has got to figure it out because I sure don't. Right. And I think he would feel that from everyone on the ship. So I think part of the um, pushing through and like not stay, laying down and keeping going back out is there was a huge issue and he was in charge. And so he was like, I can't stop for a headache. I got I have to do my thing because all of these people <laughs> are looking to mm-hmm. me. And so I think sometimes that immortal thing um, could be from feeling that responsibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I know that like I get my feelings of like I have to be like I have to be this immortal being being a parent. You know, I I could be going through 
whatever physical or mental pain or whatever. But if my baby needs me, my baby needs me. And so it's like that you have to push through. But something that I learned is that sometimes you can't push through because that does more harm than good. And you need somebody to just put you to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like you can't help or lead if you're incapacitated. So so where's the line where you started where you prioritize taking care of yourself because you can't pour from an empty cup oh that's yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i i guess my response is i feel like there's so much in it that um is about fear because it sounds like you know you want to protect someone from the fear of knowing that you don't know what you're doing or that there's something going on with you or that you you have an empty cup or whatever it is. And I guess my response to it personally is that I would rather have the truth. Even if the truth is that you are rudderless and you don't know what to do, I find that more comfortable for me to know that we're both there because then Mm -hmm. that vulnerability seems, because the the lack of vulnerability, I should say, seems more like a lie. And if I yeah. if I catch you in the lie, then I stopped trusting you, and I don't I don't follow you anymore as a leader. But I think that's generational. Mm-hmm. I think that our parents they were raised by World War II vets, and so they the World War II generation was we just do what the propaganda videos say and we fight Hitler and we go forward and we're not going to tell the truth because, you know, we didn't deal with PTSD after world war two. Right. And so then our parents got lied to about truths. And so then they were like, Oh, great. And so we had this weird dichotomy of world war two leftover remains in our parents to us. And they lied to us a lot of times about things that didn't fully trust us. And so I think our generation's like, we want full truth. We don't care what it is. We want to know all of it. We want it transparent mm-hmm. and then we can make our Full own decision. Stop. So I, I feel like that's, maybe that's just my perception, but I feel like it's that, generational. That makes complete sense. He did say to them, like when he went back out and he was having those blank spells, he said, I'm having headaches. So he did yeah. not try to hide that from the the crew. Yeah. So yeah. He did. I felt proud of him in that moment. Because it goes to what Chris had just said, where it was unusual that mm. he didn't just try to play it off or whatever. I feel like he, in that moment, Right, vulnerable again to tell the whole crew. To me, that that speaks to like the trust level that he has with his crewmates. Right, because like I deal with like painful like ovarian cysts, and Mm. when I'm at home and they hurt, when I'm with my boyfriend, I will bawl my eyes out. I will scream. I'll cry. I'll do that. And as soon as we get to the hospital, I'll like buck up and put on a straight face and tell the doctors like exactly what's going on and like. I've dealt with this since I was 15. I'm 30 years old now. Like, I know what this is, blah, blah, blah. He's like, well, why do you do that? And I'm like, because I don't trust them. Mm. Because they don't, I feel like they don't trust me. Because they're going to think I'm a pill seeker or like they'll treat, like I've been treated horribly by some people in the medical field. Mm. I wish that I had a Dr. Crusher that I could go to. All need Dr. Crusher. But you you just, he trusts his crew. And I think that that was a beautiful moment for me because Mm -hmm. it was something that like Mm -hmm. I saw reflected in my own life like you trust these people like these are your this is your pack this is wolf pack man yeah. <laughs> exactly and you know what that we haven't really seen them doing that as much i mean again they're all just gonna know each other so yeah. but they're 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 getting there for sure mm-hmm. so just to finish the parable that i kind of started and left ditched uh in the end of this story 
we find out from Picard that he one sort of resolves his part of this situation that has led to the revenge. Right. And he says the past is left best in the past. Right. And so I want to jump into the truth and justice with you guys on the idea of revenge. Ooh. Revenge is hard. Yes, it is. It sucks. But it feels so good. It does. <laughs> but why does it feel good? Why do we need to be right so badly or mollified so badly or have retribution for something so badly that we would literally, in the case of this, be willing to kill right. a thousand people on this ship and go after and start a war with the Federation? You know, why? Um, I feel like revenge is just you are alone in your pain and you don't want to be alone anymore. Mm. And so you want to transfer that pain to so like, you want to make somebody else hurt just as badly as you're hurting because you don't want, it's unfair that you're in it by yourself. At least I know that like, that's how it's felt for me. It's like, no, this isn't fair. Why should I have to suffer? You have to suffer too, because you're the one who made me suffer. So now you have to sit in here and be miserable with me. And it feels amazing for like a tenth of a, <laughs> a second, second and then you yeah. realize <laughs> oh i just brought this other person or these other people down to where i'm at and now we all have to try to climb back out of it and it sucks right. <laughs> and you know, picard he also said that the act of personal vengeance there's no profit in it and i thought you just described mm -hmm. really well you th you know you go for it and then was it really worth it yeah. It makes me think of forgiveness because like if you have forgiven someone for something, mm -hmm. yeah so a good a, a really cool quote that i heard once from you can judge me if you want to but it was a tyler perry movie i think no yeah, judgment tyler perry! i love him it's a media movie but <laughs> yes. yeah you know you've forgiven someone if you get the opportunity for revenge and you don't take it mm. yep diary of a mad black woman that's a media movie Hello. <laughs> yes. Hello. Mm -hmm. I thought that was like a really cool quote from that, that movie. Quote. It was a good movie. I think this pain, you know, for Damon Bach is rooted in the loss of a child. Yes. And I think mm. you you don't know you could love as much as when you have a child, whether they're your mm. biological child, adopted, you know, accepted, whatever. When you pour out your life for someone smaller than yourself and then to lose that person Man, I just, I felt for Damon Bach and his pain. I, I just really empathize with him. Mm -hmm. It's been his whole life, yeah. yeah. Exactly. But then what's interesting is we don't find out that that's why he is the way he is until the very end. True. Mm -hmm. And you look at, you look at Picard, take that in. And you're, when he said, your son, that was, you know, it, it's, it, it was completely. So it just made, for some reason in that moment, I was thinking, man, if they could have, if Damon Bach had started the episode with that. Right. Instead of all of the lies and the manipulation and the spending all of his money, which is the most precious thing to him on these fear things. Illegal. Yes. Right. Yes. If he had just gone and said, right. okay, oh my God, this happened. Mm -hmm. It would have been so much more productive. I mean, that's pretty unrealistic. Because it takes so much vulnerability to go to somebody and say, you hurt me at the deepest part of who I am. We don't do that yep. as humans. We run, we put up our defense mechanisms. We come up with plans of revenge because that Way hurts harder. to go to someone and say, this is the deepest thing you've ever done. And then if that person's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Forget you. And you're like, but 
Yeah. That's debilitating. We don't want that. So we revenge. Revenge is easier than talking. Like it's way easier to cut someone and just, you know, than, than to talk to them. It's so much easier. Well, and he spent nine years getting to that moment. So he was like not anywhere thinking about why. I don't think he was at that space anymore where he was thinking about why he was doing that. Just that he had a goal. And that was to vindicate his son's death on his son's first mission. And he was he was hyper-focused on that for a long time. So I don't know. Nicole, that... That made me think, I wrote down that memory, especially things that are regrets or mistakes or bad things, they have such great control over our lives. Because like you said, Nicole, it was like nine years of just festering these guilt thoughts and hurts and yes. There's not a lot in canon about what happens in these nine years between these events of the Stargazer destruction and the... Uh, the acquisition of Captain Picard on the Enterprise. And one thing that is sort of implied in some places is that he drifts Mm. from thing to thing until they give him the Enterprise. And so the truth of the matter is if Damon Bach came in here and said, I have trauma over this, we know Picard has trauma over this, they maybe could have fixed it together. Mm -hmm. And and what's interesting is (laughs) you get a little a little window into maybe how he was handling that trauma because he says, Oh, I haven't thought of this in years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really? That was a pretty yeah. big experience and you hadn't thought of it in years. You bury it. Yeah. Cause they have a whole maneuver named after this right. experience. Part is definitely uh, developed some probably pretty unhealthy defense mechanisms. Yeah. Yeah. Or you have a responsibility to personal truth. Right. And so mm-hmm. if you're avoiding your pain if you're avoiding your trauma then how are you supposed to actualize yourself how are you supposed to be an effective leader i I don't think he can um (laughs) i think he did because he left he put it so far back there i mean i think of all the decisions we've watched him make um i mean he's had to make life or death decisions in almost every episode without being emotional, without doing whatever. And if he had kept that trauma Mm. in the front, he would be like in a fetal position every time that he had another crisis facing him. So I think it was also personal survival um, Mm. to be a good captain, to not keep keep that at the forefront. Or good leadership. Sure, but whether or not he realized he needed to heal from that, like it was, you know, and here's the thing. This was um, an outside force bringing this back to him versus, you know, an internal force uh, bringing it back to the surface. Um, So who's to say that it it wasn't under control or he had some kind of healing and then it just like popped back up, which can happen to people. They can get healed. That's true. And move forward and then their brain or their activity happens or a smell happens and they're triggered, you know. Healing is not a linear process event like you can have right you know setbacks and it can happen so yeah you're you're 100 right that maybe he did have some sort of healing over it um but the the reaction that he was having was so i mean you later on find out that he's being like manipulated but also that made me think of like gaslighting too in a Mm. sense yeah you know somebody's preying on this event and even to go as far as to create a fake recording of it 
Right. And, you know, well, this is how it actually happened. And now you're questioning yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, wait, did I actually wait? No, I didn't actually say that. That's no. Or did I? Well, okay. Mm -hmm. Or did I? And that's a whole other beast too. Scary. Oh, yeah. Well, that to me just says that he hasn't healed from it because he does say, how do I know I was in my right mind Mm -hmm. at Maxia? How do I know I'm in my right mind now? He still questions it. And yeah, the Ferengi drove it, but yeah. But don't we all question, Kent, our remembering of past events or, I mean, we were, I I don't know that that's not that we're self-actualized. I think it's more to be human, to question if we remember things correctly or if we slanted them to make ourselves look good. Mm-hmm. Looking backwards. I know there's events in my life that I look back and I'm like, I think I'm painting myself better than I really was. Right. Or maybe I'm painting myself worse and causing more blame, but there were other people. So mm-hmm. I feel like, I don't think it's that he's not self-actualizing or dealing with it. I think it might just be, we question ourselves when we're in deep pain that he is yeah. you know, being caused by this headache. Mm-hmm. What's that Disney movie with the emotions? Inside, Inside out. out. I love Inside that movie. Inside Out. Really, han- I think it handles that really well. It recolors Absolutely. memories. Yeah, we watched it once, and then I was like, that was too real. Very I real. hadn't been able to watch it again. You um, should. I feel like it's a great one, Stina. Yeah. It's so... I just think I just think it's beautiful because we are such complex be- beings. Like you said, Nicole, our memories are colored with sad and joy and sorrow and anger and disgust all in one and that's what makes us such unique and wonderful people to get Mm -hmm. to know because of that strange way that we mix our memories and life together so um from an outside perspective if you are not a part of the revenge if you are not the revenge seeker or the revenge receiver receiver yes thank you um like how do you dispel that if you're counselor troy in this situation how do you bridge that how do you dispel revenge in front of you and keep it from being destructive you got to do michelle obama when they go low you go high yeah dunk yeah i guess i need to know how to do that because like part of why i love counselor troy so much is because i pick up on emotions and i can tell like even if they don't realize it i'm like you're you're being spiteful right now and i don't know how to stop you and i don't know how to warn you that this person is out to get you without it coming across as like i'm meddling or you know you're not going to listen to me yeah. or now you're going to turn on me and now i'm the end of your revenge seeking because i thwarted your plans like mm. it's so so i just shut down and i internalize it and that's very destructive yeah. So if anybody out there has tips on how to do that, send them my way. <laughs> voicemail. <laughs> right? Voicemail. Send me a voicemail. I need it. Stina, what are you going to say? <laughs> um, I think that that is a line that a counselor dances on. Where do I intervene? And where do I just help them on whatever path they're already going on? How much help is helping and how much is Interfering. Help? Yeah, yeah, interfering with their process. Mm. So, yeah. I Prime directive, little... non-interference. <laughs> well, except that when it's time for the captain to take a nap, you know what I mean, uh, right? So when do you... Yeah, yeah interfere. It's hard to find the balance. Right. I think it is hard to know where to, when to put your oar in and when to just keep paddling your ship and maybe be close to rescue somebody, but maybe exactly. you're not, you're not going to interfere because that's their journey to go on, even if it does include revenge i don't know mm-hmm. you can't helicopter it right right like you can't if you save them you might be 
uh, robbing them of some valuable experience that they sure. were, they needed to have in order to learn that lesson. Yeah. And I feel like when there's revenge involved, man, I think the best advice to give to people is stay away from that person or those. You can you can see them like brewing a storm. Like mm. you can see Damon Bach like sitting there like his little witch's brew mm -hmm. sitting there. You're like, what's this is all shady. And you can see them like they should have been like, nope, we're going. Let's <laughs> yep. get out of here. It was shady. Another thing is that emotional response. If you can figure out how to master in the moment, not making it worse or um, going out like that sure. that will make a lot of headway to but you have to not want rich <laughs> i guess <laughs> the end in mind <laughs> like you know yeah what i'm hearing you say though is that you have to be able to separate um feeling from action absolutely mm. which is so hard but i think that's what makes a good leader going back to picard i think that's he has his feelings but he do, he does not allow that to interfere with his duties and his job and i think we as people sometimes i think get a little mm -hmm. lost in our feelings instead oh, of going yeah. separate fact from my responsibility mm, yeah. and then my feelings have their place but maybe not in this moment and sometimes it's like all the feelings all the time and we never get anything done. I think social media is a great example of that. All the feelings all the time. Mm -hmm. Instead of let's move forward in a positive way that we can make change that's going to be good for everybody. But we're like, you hurt me and I hurt you and we're angry. Instead of let's deal with facts so we can move forward. Yeah. What What's something like how would you handle like an instance where you were able to separate your feelings enough but then your feelings just well back up in the middle of it. And now suddenly you've gone off the rails. Cause like that happened to me actually like last night at work, I was put in an unsafe situation. I called security to remove the problem. Security said, well, this is a paying customer. They hadn't paid for anything yet, but they were like, it's a paying customer. So what's the problem? And I had to go through with the transaction feeling completely unsafe. And then I called the security company back and I was like, you know, you guys put me in a really unsafe position. Um, is there a supervisor I can speak to? And the response was, well, I am the supervisor. So I'll just relay the message. And that cut me off. And I was just like full Karen mode. Then I need the number to corporate <laughs> and I need badge numbers and I need full names because you guys are out here effing up. And what if something would have happened to me? And I'm a woman and that's a man and he's being a little B and blah, blah, blah. Like it was all bad. Yeah. So like, what do you do in those moments? We joke about going Karen, <laughs> but I'm there's a time for that. Right. Like, especially when it comes to safety. Absolutely. If it was a safety issue, then mm -hmm. it was time for you to ask for badge numbers and the number for corporate. Mm -hmm. That's not a bad thing to do, to assert yourself in that kind of way when it's appropriate. Um, you know, it's the cursing the probably wasn't a good thing. Maybe not. I called, <laughs> like, I called back and I was like, hey, I'm the employee that just cursed you out. I am so sorry. Um, <laughs> don't don't have the right to go off on you like that. But also, you effed up, man. Um, so there's that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I appreciate you so much for being able to do that, though. That takes a lot of effort, and that takes a lot yes. of humbleness. God bless all of you who work in the public yes. sphere with all the Karens out there. Oh my gosh. I have a friend that has a store and on her window of her store, it says um, masks and kindness required. Aww. But like, she'll have people open the door and like yell at her and then shut the door back. Wow. It's just banana. Yeah. Who knew masks and kindness were too much to ask I for? Exactly. I mean, it's a tough, tough times. <laughs> well, I feel like all of these people are, are exacting their revenge on the 
pandemic and on yeah like this is their yeah. way of of you know getting revenge and dealing, dealing with, with grief of yeah of loss right how sad that we have a lot of people who don't know how to deal with their emotions their loss their disappointments their hurts in a healthy manner and that maybe we're mm -hmm. not taught how to do that or we don't have the tools to do that as grown adults i think it's just it's it's very disheartening to see us falling apart over something as simple as wear a mask and stay at your mm -hmm. house yeah i think this ties back to what you were talking about earlier i i think it's about strength and weakness it's the perception that if you humble yourself enough to say i don't know something that you are perceived as dumb or weak and i just like there's a difference between being the kind of vulnerable that Picard is with Beverly Crusher in that scene where she's private with him and she says, hey, do you want to talk? And the kind of vulnerability that you need to pull over and ask for directions when you're lost, you know? And one of these things is not hard. Mm -hmm. And a lot more of life fits into the side that's really not hard. Just open your mouth and communicate. That's how I feel. But what do you guys think? I think Picard showed that leadership when he told everybody he had a headache. Yeah. I think, like... If you have a weak muscle, what do you do? You work it out. Like you focus on that muscle and then it gets stronger. And mm -hmm. so if people can at least have the little centimeter, whatever, you know, of honesty with themselves to go, I'm weak in this area, even if they aren't ready to let communicate with everybody, if they can at least communicate with one person, if they can find their Beverly Crusher in their life yes. and learn yes. and use them to practice communicating with, then they'll, they might feel a little bit more comfortable communicating with other people. I think that vulnerability can only happen if you have support. Mm -hmm. And we see in Picard, he has support. They've done enough missions together. He knows they have his back and that if he shows his vulnerable side, I have a headache, that they're going to be there for him. And so I think for each of us, in order to be healthy and functional and to be able to walk that balance of vulnerability and leadership and whatever our sphere is, we have to know that there is a safe place for us that you can, you know, they've got you and can support you so you can go out and face other people and choose to be vulnerable in little ways. Cause you know, you can come back home. If you were beat down while you were out, you can come back to wherever your safe place is and go, this is what happened today. They'd be like, man, that's messed up. And then you go, okay, I can recalibrate and go back out and try again. That's, that's beautiful. And I think we see it obviously in Dr. Crusher, but we also see it mm -hmm. in that little moment with um, at the very end where Riker is trying to convince him to destroy the sphere. He says, it's me, it's Riker. You're number one. Mm -hmm. You know, he's like, come on, I'm here for you. Yeah, it's really it's cool. Yeah. Becky would take her blessing from that. Because <laughs> yeah. it's about Riker. Oh, Becky, we miss you. We do. We miss we you, miss Becky. Um, so just to sort of push all this through to um, kind of a, a truth and justice -y truth, we see a physical manifestation in this episode of something that um, lies. It's the thought maker. Is that the orb? That's the orb. Mm -hmm. They call it a thought maker. It's a forbidden device. It's, it, it's a very expensive, illegal thing. And so they clearly in the Ferengi society understand that this is wrong and they don't mean to do it. The, the thought maker makes me think of like, media today 
and sensationalism and all of that stuff, like who we choose to listen to and how they affect our thoughts and our actions. And I just be careful of what you put into your body. And that just isn't food. It doesn't just go to food. It's it's the media you consume. It's who you listen to. It's all of this stuff. Yeah. Critical thinking is a, is an actual course that I have to take as part of my degree. And I'm just like, I'm so excited to take it. And I just feel like if everybody can at least get to your local community college or if they offer it in your high school or whatever, take a critical thought class because that will help you against the actual thought makers that are out there. The fallacies mm-hmm. that are being spun mm-hmm. around us. Yeah. Right. You're right. I wish that should be everybody needs to take that class right now. You're home. Take it. Yes. <laughs> Stay in. Take a class. Yeah. Um, I loved that the the number one on the Ferengi ship actually did the right thing. You know, I loved that Riker reached out to him. He heard. Yes. You know, he called back and he's like, by the way, we fired him. Mm-hmm. You know, I did. I did do the right thing good luck with all that click. But I mean, still, you know, he didn't change his nature, but he did do the right thing. And that's, there's hope in that. Yeah. And let's go through the wormhole. Um, Every episode I'm tracking what data is saying about what it is to be human. Oh, yeah. And in this, in this episode, it's the first time there isn't anything. (gasps) He does not reveal what it is to be human in this episode. Unless you guys can think of something and I missed it, but I couldn't find anything. It's so cool because one thing that I noticed is that this is also an episode where Riker shuts him down every time. Yeah. He's trying to express himself and Riker keeps shutting him down. No, now's not the time. No, now's not the time. We have too much to do. The captain's in trouble. Right. So he was definitely treated like other, I think, in this one. And it started out with like the Ferengi going, we'd like to buy him. And then, um, like every time, like when Riker asked him, what's the defense against the Picard maneuver? And um, he was like, there's not one. And, and <laughs> Riker was just like, we'll make one. And so <laughs> you saw him like turn way more into like in that moment, he was so not human. Like it was almost taken from him in this episode. Oh, even when, um, when Wesley says, yeah, I was um, enhancing the long range sensors and Data's like, really? How? Oh, wait, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. You know, I mean, he got shut down with a look on that one. Mm-hmm. I know. So there's nothing about being human in this episode. So except unless it was the the lesson that sometimes even humans are treated as other. Oh, mm. ooh. Which kind of sucks, but mm. yeah. Right. Let's talk a little bit about guilt. Carissa's shaking her head. She's like, I do not feel guilty. I never have guilt. (laughs) Never? (laughs) I'm just totally kidding. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think that guilt is a really powerful emotion. There, There is something that sticks in my mind all the time. We were doing in one of those middle school years, we were doing PSAT prep stuff. And um, it was so boring to me. I hated it. And I've always hated standardized tests. And I didn't understand the point of why we were doing it. And I was like, none of this matters to me anyway. And so I got called on to give an answer. And my teacher, Mrs. Snipes, was like, so what is your answer to this question? And I was like, actually, my answer to this question is E. This doesn't matter. (laughs) And I said it loud (laughs) in front of the whole class. And they all laughed. And she turned beat red. And it stuck with me for now 
20 right. plus years you know and i do feel guilty about it sometimes yeah. you want to say something to her i'm so sorry julie yeah. snipes for doing that in your classroom oh. that, that was uncalled for how does that so good i mean i feel a little weird but <laughs> <laughs> you know guilt is a very powerful thing and we yes. see it triggered in picard and we see this whole journey that he goes on culminating in this scene with Dr. Crusher that we've talked about several times where he's like, how do I know I was in my right mind on Maxia? He questions so hard. So like guilt is big. Let's talk about it. I wonder if like guilt, having guilt about something in the past that happened like so long ago, if it still resonates with you is because you're thinking about how it might've impacted that other person up until this point. Like, and it's your way of trying to like empathize and your body just hasn't figured it out yet. Because like, I know when I was like eight years old, my mom went to Costco and got like these Mulan balloons cause Mulan had just come out and bought this cake and surprised me in front of my entire class and I just had the most sour face and the sour disposition. I was just like, mom, you're embarrassing me. And then I think, is that, did like what impact did that have on my mother? And so I feel guilty, maybe not necessarily for being a preteen, but for maybe causing, like filling into my mom's depression because she went through all of that for her kid and this is how her kid reacted. And so I think maybe that's like, your brain is trying to empathize. And like I said, it just hasn't figured it out. Sure. Guilt is hard. I think because it's us wanting to try to fix what went wrong or to rationally yeah. maybe give reason or justification or backstory to what happened or why we reacted the way we did because we're wanting to move forward. We're wanting to move forward in solutions or restoration of relationship and so sometimes we get stuck in playing out the what ifs this went differently and then that guilt just kind of bogs us down instead of maybe moving forward of acceptance what I did was wrong or I couldn't have helped it like you said Nisa because I was a kid and I'm not responsible for the reaction of an adult and you know and how to move forward so I think sometimes we the guilt hinders us if we're not willing to deal with it hinders us from moving forward towards resolution or it plays into revenge yeah yeah it's very similar to revenge. yes absolutely maybe damon bach felt guilty about losing his son and maybe he pushed him there it was his first mission that was yeah, yeah like he felt guilty like it was my first mission and i lost my kid and i don't know how to cope with that so now i'm just gonna exact revenge mm. right um, the other thing that I think is happening simultaneously is this callousness of, um, we talked for a second about social media, but one of the things that I think is really scary, and especially this generation that's coming up and being um, trained like this, yeah. is the art of going to someone's page or their post and saying something really nasty and then just leaving and moving on and you don't see that face you don't notice, you How don't you get to see, yeah, you're not, you're not there for the reaction that obviously is powerful because two of you just told stories from your childhood that there was, there was something in that moment that told you, Ooh, I, I don't want to be that person. That's not, that doesn't feel good inside. And now we have this whole generation that they prim primarily communicate um, in a way where they're not getting 
to see that. And I, I just think that's a really scary place that we're in. Um, I, you know, some of it might be a little healthy, um, because it kind of keeps us great. Like what you two just described, um, in a way, well, you know, you're going to always not want to say the answer is D I don't care. You know what I mean? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to keep that moment as like a possible grounding point of like how you respond to everyone. Right. Well, and the, the action of being able to run away from the impact that you've caused means that you never get to the place where there's forgiveness on either side. Mm-hmm. And Very true. I think that right. we don't get any forgiveness from Damon Bach in this episode. We get Ferengi um, forgiveness, I think, from the the first officer over there who's like, okay, I understand a little bit what happened here. We're in the wrong. I'm going to put my captain in his chamber and we're going to take care of this and get out of here. And there is a little bit of forgiveness between him and Riker, but like, I, I think that Picard's ultimate statement that the past belongs in the past, um, we haven't said it outright, but he killed people. Yeah. In that moment, he killed more than just Damon Bach's son. He killed an entire crew. And he says that. He says an entire vessel, an entire crew. And so if he says the past belongs in the past, yes, okay, I understand that. But at the same time, how do you how do you activate forgiveness within yourself? How is he gonna heal from this trauma if he's unable to look at it, you know? And if you're just walking away, if you're that person posting a social media post and then never looking at that person's page again, there's no forgiveness possible between either party. So what do you guys think about forgiveness? Sometimes you're not gonna get the forgiveness from someone else, you know, and you need to forgive on your, forgive yourself, forgive the situation, come to that forgiveness spot within yourself. Um, It's not necessarily gonna come from an external place. And the captain said, let the dead rest. So I think that might've been for that moment you were just talking about Kent, but like he was probably telling his heart, like he had to, you know, you know, let them rest, you know? I love that reading. But I think sometimes we don't have resolution of forgiveness and that's real. It is real. And I think that it's how do we move forward to live productive lives in the midst of deep pain, even if we don't have that or we're not able to forgive yet. Um, I think that there's that balance of moving forward in the grief and revenge and non-forgiveness and then also taking time to forgive and move past the one of re- of revenge or guilt so it's I, a process yeah yeah and i think for different things we're willing to deal with things at different times i know that in my own life there's times where i'm like nope we're not going to talk about that we're just going to move right on because i have things to do and children to raise and and other times it's like okay i can't move forward in a healthy way until i deal with this thing yeah I, so I think for Picard, maybe mm-hmm. this whole incident that came up without, maybe he thought he had dealt with it. And this whole thing, come, you know, Frankie bringing it back up to him is that, okay, we're really going to deal, deal with this now. time. Yeah. Also, it takes a lot more energy to hold on to angst and um, anger and frustration at someone. Um, the release I feel you get with fitness is, is really for you more than the person that you're angry at. They're not affected. 
by your non-forgiveness, but your insides and your heart and your, your matter, in, in my opinion, are way more bogged down by um, the unforgiveness. That makes sense. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets me perfectly to the last wormhole thing that I wanted to bring up, which is how are we able to forgive if we continue to memorialize the trauma? They name a maneuver after this event. The Picard maneuver killed these people. And we know that it affects him, whether or not he buries it or acknowledges it, for nine years. And in our own world, you know, we, we put up monuments to war and we we were experiencing it right now in this country with tearing down confederate soldiers that we've memorialized and renaming bases after them and how are we supposed to move past this trauma if all we do is celebrate it i think there's a fine line between remembering so we don't forget and so we don't repeat um and teaching the next generation of what went before and you know honoring there is a fine line between those things. That's hard. I feel like that's hard. I mean, I, I obviously I'm very grateful that in our town center, the Confederate flag was or the Confederate statue was moved and taken down. Um, very, very grateful. So, but yeah, I think that's, I think that's good. I think that's a good point, Kent. That it's an interesting thing though, to me, because we we're all, there are pockets of that all over the country, right? That yeah. celebrate the Confederacy in a way. I find it interesting that the people who are in support of keeping the Confederate statues and all of this other stuff, like never forget all of this are the main ones who will look at a black person and say, well, slavery ended how many years ago? It's, it's selective memory. Mm. I think that it ties back into guilt in a sense. It's almost like, it's almost masochistic. Like some, I think that like there's some part of these people that genuinely, if they would allow themselves to be vulnerable enough, because I'm not of the belief that all humans are bad. I believe that there is some, even just a little millimeter of goodness in everybody. And I think it's almost a, a masochistic like, remember like it feels good to be angry like anger feels good well it's empowering it's empowering and so you have all of this stuff that you know you're angry about and it reminds you of your anger but part of you probably actually feels guilty about what happened i feel like you're giving them too much credit nisa i feel like most people who support confederacy really have no idea what it even means i don't think they know the battles or what they actually were fought for or the economics that were happening at that time i know that's being really with a broad brush i'm not saying that about every single person but i feel like not having grown up in the south and living here as an adult now you just see this very absent-minded lack of critical thinking that we were talking about earlier in their blind support of the Confederacy. I don't think they understand what those words actually mean. Yeah. I think it means heritage to, to a lot of people. Yes. It's, it's not tied into the war per se. It's more about their Southern pride and heritage and like um, somehow it's challenging their way of life. And so when 
when people are even told, hey, that's not what that flag means to me. It's like they have this really sh- defensive response of like, well, that's not what it means to me. But so. for me, like defense, who who is always the most defensive? Somebody that's guilty, not somebody that's innocent. Mm. Somebody that's guilty will always be the most defensive. So they, they probably aren't aware of the actual guilt, but they're acting like a guilty party, like that, like they know. So like they know. And so if they just yeah. dealt with it and confronted it and used that guilt sure. and used those reminders that they love so much to tune into that guilt that's obviously radiating from them or else they wouldn't be so defensive about it, then they could start to work with it. Mm. Lisa, I love that you work to find the good in everybody and try to find that even in people who some of the, some people, a lot of people might say that don't deserve it, but I see you working to find that in people and that's valuable. Absolutely. That's a great example. I don't. I just condemn people. <laughs> just this is my other half. <laughs> there you go. Are y'all ready for some blessings? Yeah. Who wants to go first? I mean, I can. Go, Carissa. I'm blessing the Ferengi, specifically Damon Bach, for the great loss of losing a child and then the pain he caused with that pain that he felt. So may those who have lost greatly channel their pain into more productive ways. That's my blessing. Thank you. Yeah. I have two. Um, To Dr. Crusher, thank you for being a good friend and doctor to Captain Picard. Even when you did not understand, you offered to listen, to be there for him, and gave him permission to rest. My second one is um, to our listeners and to our federation. um, May you let the past be in the past and find your way home. Because we did not say this yet, but Picard, the last thing he said was, I'm going home. He's going home to his current ship. That's beautiful. Thank you. Heck yeah. Tying back to Picard when he felt, when he was completely out of control and to Dr. Beverly Crusher for helping steer a spinning ship, (laughs) Um, for Mm. providing Picard with a little sense of control so that way he could navigate himself back to where he needed to be. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Stina? Um, the vulnerability that Picard allowed himself to let Beverly see um, and the fact that she said um, she was just there for him as a doctor and as a friend. And may we all have that in those moments. Yes. Um, Blessing to the listeners. Um, I hope that you find your Dr. Crusher. Um, that you find your support, that you find, even right. if it's just one person, or even if it's your cat, <laughs> um, find somebody that you can practice communicating with, because that's going to be your savior at the end of the day. Very good. And don't be afraid to be a Dr. Crusher. <gasps> there might be something mm-hmm. that you to listen and be just be there with them. Absolutely. Beautiful. I want to do two blessings, but I want to do one on behalf of Becky because I feel like she would bless 
Dr. Crusher for this. And it is when the, there's a scene in the ready room where Riker and Jordy and Data are discussing the fake transmission from the Ferengi and um, Picard comes in and he gets the briefing and then Dr. Crusher wanders in and she didn't realize that he was going to be there and she gets dismissed with everybody else and she says under protest sir and <laughs> i feel like becky would want to bless mm -hmm. dr crusher for always speaking her mind and looking out for the captain no matter whether mm -hmm. or not the captain wants her to oh that's um, good very good um and then my blessing is for wesley <laughs> because i love wesley you do love um, wesley but <laughs> i do <laughs> my blessing specifically for him is um that he comes in and saves the day yet again and gets no recognition from mm -hmm. it and more to the point he no longer requires the recognition mm -mm. from them he lets his mom and counselor troy walk adults. out of the room and yeah he says adults <laughs> yeah he just he's, he's become graceful in that and he understands that he can channel his uh intelligence into good and I think that's beautiful. And I just hope that, you know, everybody out there finds something they're good at and channels that into good. Yes, that's great. It doesn't need validation from anybody. That's right. We all need that. <laughs> that's man. right. All right, everybody. That is our show for today. Thank you to our Federation, Carissa, Nisa, Nicole, Christina. We miss you, Mark and Becky. Uh, we will see you again next time. And uh, thank you, everybody out there, for listening to us here on Sacred Trek. We really couldn't do it without you. Please do rate and review, subscribe, like, and share Sacred Trek. It really does help the show to grow and be successful. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Sacred Trek Podcast. If you like what we do and want to help keep us making the show, head over to patreon.com slash lastmidnightproductions and help sustain us. You can also send us an email or a voice message at sacredtrek at lastmidnightproductions.com. Please send those. We'd love to hear from you about these things that we've been talking about and know what you think and engage in community with you. And you can also sign up for our newsletter at lastmidnightproductions.com slash sacredtrek. And uh, we'll be back next week with Season 1, Episode 9, Hide and Q. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, wear a mask, and go with love. For Sacred Trek and Last Midnight Productions, I'm Kent Altman. Live long and prosper. Last Midnight Productions.